Welcome to Sharon Feelings. My name is Chris Sharon. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. We have uh, quite the exciting episode for you. A sort of uh, peek behind the curtain of my past life as I welcome my childhood friend, Mr. Brendan Stackhouse. Brendan is an educator and theater director and producer, and as we discover, may actually be my oldest friend. We laugh about the very humbling growth from wishful adolescence to responsible adulthood. We reminisce on how fearless we were, how creative we could be when there was no doubt, no anxiety. As we've grown older, we've tried to keep our sense of play and certainly draw on some hilarious memories to do so. Brendan shares his thoughts on being an English teacher, noticing how every kid has an iPhone and TikTok and is smarter than we ever were. (laughs) But all that access to the world is still paired with a childish naivete, and we still need to learn how to be human beings and connect with one another and understand behavior. Brendan reminds me that although we were absolute fools when we were younger, we've grown to appreciate that all great things take time. And as we abandon the miscalculated pressure of fear, we're kids again. And we realize it's going to happen for you when it's going to happen for you. Just wait for your pitch. Enjoy. Hi! Hi! I was doing a little dance like while I was waiting for you to pick up. That's how I'm feeling right now. Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> Is the leg uh, still going up? Um, you know, she, she needs to take a break every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, she needs to rest. We're getting old, Chris. Like that's- <laughs> yes, we are, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, and this is blowing my mind, but I think in terms, even though we became, I would say, closer sort of in high school, I think in terms of like just from the day we met to now, I think in terms of people I still talk to, you may be actually my oldest friend. Is that blowing your mind? <laughs> okay, it's funny that you say that because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, like, we, like, I just keep going back. To, this is so ridiculous. I keep going back to our baseball team. Yeah. We were like very little. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you yeah. gotta give it to me. <laughs> Wait for I can't even fucking believe it, dude. Wait for your pitch! <laughs> we gotta talk about her at some point today, too. Absolutely we will. I feel like I mentioned my mom on every single episode, but... Oh my god. Wait for your pitch is definitely a top contender for the title of this episode, that's for sure. Um, that... I kind of love that, Right? Actually. Like, come on! So we'll have to pepper that throughout the episode just yeah. to remind people. <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. That also could mean a a couple different things. (laughs) I was taking a walk yesterday, and I was thinking, you know, there's so much pressure to make money and get a job and do this and all that, and because without that, you can't live. Like, there's this expectation that without all those things, you can't live. And, like, I recognize my privilege, and I recognize how lucky I am and how good I am with money that I've saved over the years and that I'm not, like, in financial ruin right now. But, like, I've been unemployed for almost a year, and I'm still alive, you know? So... (laughs) Yeah, I think there's definitely been, like, I mean many things have come out of this pandemic and like everyone's like I'm a changed person because of the pandemic and I, I agree to an extent that that exists however 
I think one positive thing is that our reliance on money and our the way that we see money for better or worse has changed i think for a lot of people like you just mentioned like you're still alive and we're broke and there's other people that i think it it really does has fortified the importance of it in their lives and they're leaving sort of less lucrative industries because of that so it's a very interesting thing that's happening right now it is it is i think it's creating unfortunately in a way this sort of extremism where it's like we're losing the middle of things it's either this or that and like no really (laughs) that's a whole other that's that's sharing politics yeah right yeah we'll cap it at that because that is not where i want to (laughs) go yeah oh my god you're right, though. Uh, yeah. I feel like the person I was before 18, 19, and the person sort of mid-20s to now, like, is just totally different. Like, maybe there's elements, obviously there's elements of us that we keep along the way, but, like, wow, I can't even, most of me can't even identify with that person anymore. I know. You know, it's funny. I talked to, I just got into, <laughs> I just got into therapy. Okay. And this guy's great, and God bless him, because I'm a mess, so... <laughs> For him to, like, it's just great. He's really great. Shout out to Joey. I was saying to him, like, from 18 to, like, 25, I feel like I was, like, one thing. But, like, I really, there was, like, a huge, huge shift at, like, 25, 26 into, like, where I am now. And I'm happy with where I am now, but I want to go back to that, like, 18 to 25 and change literally everything I did. Yeah, yeah. And and then there's a part of me that thinks like, well, if I hadn't done those things, would I be here or would I be doing them now? Or like, I don't know, it's like that butterfly effect sort of thing. Yeah, no, totally. I, yes. I look back and I, I think, wow, I think maybe I was really a dumbass. <laughs> like, yeah. Like just being stupid and making dumb decisions. But maybe that's just what it's all about. Well, it's, I think there's, there's like, you think at 18, and I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, and I also waver under the assumption that if I feel it, everyone feels it, which is <laughs> an issue. Um, but you labor, you labor under the assumption at, like, 18 that, like, you know better than the people that are older than you, and you, like, you rule the world, and no, 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 the world is changing, but there's, like, some foundational things about the world that are unchanging. Yeah. And I think... <laughs> Like, oh, I'm going to not need money. I'm going to be that per like, or I'm not going to work. I'm just going to, like, live my dreams. And if you can, phenomenal. Yeah. But it was humbling. I yeah, think, I guess. In the later part of your life. Absolutely. Like, just the added responsibility of adulthood that I feel like it's in my nature to reject. And, like, as I get older, there's just more and more reminders. Like, no, you got to do this. You got to take care of this. Like, <laughs> you're going to have to find a way to live. Like, and I'm just like, you know, it'll it'll work itself out, which is so interesting because when I was younger, I was already worried about all those things like before they were even a reality in my life. I was like, oh, yeah, got it. Got to go to a good school, get a good job, make sure I'm making enough money so I can have a family and live in Bucks County. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like just like mom and dad. It's so funny that you you say that because I feel like I was the opposite. I feel like I was like, no, 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 no. I just need to live to tomorrow. Yes, yes. 
And now I'm sort of in this place where I was like, oh, a savings account is fun. <laughs> yes. Well, I so think I, maybe I, it should be that way, probably. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. I think, I think it's, it's for the better. It's a balance. Um, it's a balance yeah. for sure, I think. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I remember about you that I think drew so many people to you was that sort of abandonment. And like, maybe we couldn't put words to it in the time, but like, you were so good at just like living free. Yeah. I really don't know how you did it. I just, this is something, thank you for saying that, that's, that's sweet. I think that there is a, and it's, it's a, a flaw of mine, but it's also maybe a strength of mine at times, like, I really feel like there is nothing that we cannot do. And I feel like when we were kids, like when we were doing, like, this is so stupid, but when we were doing those shows in the library, if you think back to, like, what we accomplished when we were, like, 15, absurd. What you all, did, you did it, man. But it was no. It was like it was. Well, that's that's part of it. It was collective. It was yes. team and group efforts. So yes. that was. I think that was a huge part of why it was successful. Is like we had your mom and dad in the front row of every performance, and we had Amy driving that huge car. Remember with all the shit in the back, <laughs> and we had like the Glarums and my parents housing everybody, and then there was sort of this collective. Like everybody wanted it to succeed, and everybody wanted that like common thing to to go off on. So I think that was great but it what we did was crazy yeah yeah and like who the fuck did we think we were yeah no i truly do you want to sort of just like explain the inception of it all and just how you sort of got it off the ground just so everybody knows what we're talking about when i was 14 i was like volunteering at story hour at the library and i was like doing puppet shows for the kids and like all that bullshit but they like you know love and I was like I want to do a show here and the librarians who knew who know nothing about theater are like yeah do that not knowing anything those poor if I could go back some of them are dead yeah I was gonna say if they're still alive so I wanted to do a show there so I did a show there I did a production of Aladdin there and then that like the other libraries wanted it so we like toured around which was fucking hilarious to watch that go down because (laughs) it was pouring rain and we were loading our cardboard box sets like into people's cars and like meeting at Applebee's it was like a whole a whole thing um but then we did we did a couple it just kind of grew from there and we did three or four shows a summer and we would tour to schools and it sort of became this this really life-encompassing thing that I did and I would corral all of my friends you included Chris to kind of be in these shows and then we ended up getting we partnered with a like a legitimate theater a couple times and did stuff there and we were able to bring in and start paying people and bring in actors from out of town to kind of do it and it sort of became a huge thing um and the bubble burst eventually and that was sad it was a really cool kind of experience my point about the librarians and wanting to apologize there were times like we did West Side Story once and spray painted the entire set like in the middle of the library so the whole library smelled like spray paint like for like three days <laughs> and we got in so much trouble and I'm we should have been kicked out then absolutely no dude it's it's insane like i think about that and i think about like the movie that kevin and i put together like oh my god how did we have this vision it's just you know what i really think about is just this ability that we had to just make a goal and say i'm gonna do this i'm gonna make this and it's going to happen and whatever you know the outcome doesn't matter the fact is that i want to create this and like i really actively think back to you and that production company and kevin and our movie and all those things and like trying to draw upon whatever 
energy Chris and Brendan were like feeding off of at that time because now in my adult life as I've studied theater as I've become a professional creator it's like all of a sudden really difficult to like make yeah, well, these that's, it's, it's funny because I'm working on a new a couple my new thing now is like new musicals like I'm trying to make as many new musicals as possible and there was a fearlessness that existed in us back then where we just wanted to create it and get it up and be with our friends and I feel like now there's I this is so terrible but I, I think this is a legitimate thing there is the bitchy gay man who wants to tell you why what you are doing is wrong and it really we have had like this new musical that I'm really sort of way in the weeds with there are so many people out there that really just have been unsuccessful and then want to see you be unsuccessful as well because of their experience and I think the theater industry in general has to be one of, in order for it to be successful, in order to be, for it to be welcoming, in order for it to be equitable, frankly, has to be one of support and building people up. And so many people hate watch things and go to things to tear them down. And I think, I, I agree with you. Like, I think back whenever I'm in the, in the weeds on a show, I'm thinking back to, like, why was this so simple when I was 14 and everyone loved it and everyone came and we were sold out and making money. And like now it's like you're vulnerable and you don't even want to put a scene together for anyone to read because you just hear that person that's just like, well, that's not how we do it. And if you look at what this person did and the blah, 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 and, the, and it's so limiting yeah. to be in that headspace. And so I think when we get older in this industry, the vulnerability, I think, gets worse. And yeah. it shouldn't be that way. No, no. It should be the same throughout. And I think, like, when kids are doing it, when you're younger or, like, teenagers or something, it's, like, this big fascinating thing. Whatever you do is amazing. And, like, it's just amazing that you're doing it at all. And, like, then for some reason you get older and you've embodied this as a sort of profession or a hobby or just a skill. And now there's all these expectations for it to be above and beyond good. And that, I think, is is limiting for people not even in the industry that want to create things and try things. There's all these pillars that are blocking people from just doing stuff and, like, putting yeah. it out there. Because we've created this standard of, like, there. it's like there's this line, what is good and what is bad. And you're either on the good side or the bad side. And that's so insane to me the best teachers that i've had are the ones that have led from joy and have have celebrated sort of the shortcomings and the failures and has a uh, professor and mentor and, and now friend has said like dive into the pool like her big thing is like you got to dive into the pool and like try everything and understand that like i will throw you a life preserver if i need to but like and i think it's that like comfort to fail that, that we don't have so much anymore. And then and bringing it back to when we were kids, it was just easier. The one thing that I cling to with these new projects, and now I'm trying to be better at this, is the alternative is that it doesn't exist. So, like, the alternative is that you don't do the thing. So why not just do the thing? The failed thing is better than the not having done the thing at all. Yes, I think about that all the time. It's like what they tell you about whether you want to go to the audition or not. It's like, okay, you can sit here and make up a thousand excuses as to why you're not going to get the job, so why you shouldn't go to the audition. But I promise you, if you don't go to the audition, you definitely will not get the job. You know what I mean? It's that simple. It's like if you don't put yourself out there, you can guarantee that it's not going to happen. But you, So you might as well. Yeah. Like I said, like what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. We're not talking about brain surgery. Like Nobody's going to die. Yeah, exactly. I also think it's blending into another conversation. I think it's really important to have something else in your life yeah whether it's baseball or knitting 
were like everyone's a fucking photographer now I feel like which is great <laughs> so I think like having that something else and whether it's a partner whether it's a a whole other career I think that's I'm working with a, a lyricist right now who's so talented I just love working with him he's been like wonderful but he he's like in, in marketing nine to five five days a week like I think things like that are really grounding and speaking as somebody who has like a nine to five that is so separate from theater I think if you're not in it 100% commercially you have to find that other thing yeah that is buoying the creativity I think yeah I think for anything really it's like if you narrow your scope down to like one thing and you create this sort of like binocular view like naturally you're going to block out a whole lot of perspective that I think most people really need because honestly at the end of the day like no one thing is really worth losing your shit over and like I'm saying that because of the countless times that I've lost my shit over one specific thing you know like but truly it's like you you step outside of the box a little bit and you realize like oh there's this whole other world that's functioning around me maybe I can just take a breath yeah and there's nothing wrong like I think once again stigmas and like those the two people like there's nothing wrong with doing that Right. And like, I feel like we use the words that we use, like these like really poisonous phrases, like sell out that I think those can be really harmful. The whole, the whole expectation of like what you declare something at 18 in college, and then you're supposed to follow up with that is bogus. Yes. Like, I mean, I didn't, but I think on it, like, that's what I, that's what I mean too, about like having the something else. Like, I think it allows you to sort of be choosy about the things that you love and how you're going to make time for them in your life. I was going to do education and special ed, and I had, like, a passion for that and making that happen in my life. And then I was like, no, I'm going to do theater. And then I kept, like, sort of booing between the two of them. And so I ultimately went the theater route, went to DeSales University for a semester, and then I went to transfer to Wagner uh, and was there for too long after that. <laughs> <laughs> was a shitty student the whole time, which is hilarious relative to the fact that I'm a teacher now. Um <laughs> But I was like, I could sit here and do this, like, rote math homework, or I could do, like, the accounting books for this theater company. So I'd rather, and I would, like, Google how to do your taxes, and, like, that would be, but it had a purpose. Right. And it had, like, a, now, that said, I carried no student skills with me. Like, I have, I, my executive functions are awful. So the school is important, and I, I know now, being an educator, why school is important and why you have to sort of take those things with you but I for, for me it was like I looked at college almost like a hotel in New York City yeah which is this is awful and I did like I passed and I graduated and when I went back and got my master's I, it was great like I was like I'm gonna do this the right way for my peace of mind right so it ended up being okay but um almost as soon as I finished Wagner I Wagner does this really really awesome thing where for my undergrad thesis you have to go out into the world and like do a semester-long internship and so I did that at this company called 321, which was the general manager for Wicked and Ifsen at the time. And ultimately, Fun Home, which was coming to Broadway. Right. And so on my last day there, I was doing an exit interview, and it was sort of a right place at the right time kind of situation. And on the same day that I was doing my exit interview for 321, the choreographer for Fun Home was looking for some sort of assistant. I know now because he went on to do Dear Evan Hansen, which was in labs when Fun Home was in tech, so there needed to sort of be 
the, the way it was explained to me was that there needed to be somebody that was at the theater in case he couldn't be, mm. that could rep sort of the dance team. Now, if you saw Fun Home, there are 0.2 moments of movement in it. <laughs> um, so the, the job itself was really a lot of just like sitting quietly and watching. I wish now, like it's one of those regretful moments, I wish I was a little more, I personally was like a little more active in the process and I spoke up a little bit more when I was in that room just because it probably would have planted some better seeds than it did mm. but so I did that show and that show won the Tony and it was great and everyone cried and lesbians and yay um, and then I was working that summer I was like freelancing a little bit and doing children's shows but I was like I didn't have much money and I was like kind of getting into this like place where like can I freelance and sustain this and like what is that going to look like so that fall I interview to direct this production of Company, don't get the job, and then the person that does get the job, like, falls fatally ill, so I do get the job. And I hire this woman named Abby, who I is, like, my fairy gamma. Um, I hire her to be in the show, and we're working on it together, and she's like, hey, do you have any interest in education and, like, working at a school? Do you do that? And I was like, actually, I do work. Like, I do shows at schools. She's like, the drama teacher at my school is leaving. We're doing The Wizard of Oz right now. Do you want to come in and just, like, work on the show after school? And I was like, sure. So I'm going in, and it paid great. And I, I went and was doing this musical after school for, like, two hours a week. And at the end of the process, I fell in love with these kids. And it was, a, it was a special needs school, The whole my whole school, and I'm still there. The whole school is special ed, really dealing in language, language-based learning, disabilities, and, and dyslexia and stuff. That's, like, the main type of kid that we admit. But I fell in love with the kids, so I had applied for a job there, and I got the job there, and then I started teaching. But it's, it's it was this, like, weird series of, like, successive doors that had seemingly nothing to do with each other right. that sort of led me to where I am now. Holy shit, man. I don't know if I knew that. That's incredible. I mean, talk about, like the power of saying yes yeah it's weird like I, I always think about like had that guy not gotten sick and had like and then like theater really did lead me into education like and I'm not a drama teacher at my school I'm like a regular classroom teacher I teach 7th and 8th grade English but I think to your point yeah it was a lot of saying yes when I didn't really know what was gonna happen but I think that's always been a, a quality of mine that can be a problem but is largely not in that I really am just like well if it fails then I'm alive still I yeah. Know, like. yeah, truly. Well, I think I remember when we were in high school, maybe that quality of yours of saying yes, maybe put too much on your plate at times. All the time. Right. All the time. <laughs> and I think that freelance life did a number on me because I just like, as much as I defy structure, I need it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a lot going on sort of in my head at the time. And I, I think that that was a wake up call in that, like, you have to find something to fill your day in a structured way so that you have the, the space to be creative because you're making money and you're checking off some sort of like logistical boxes of your life. That's so interesting. And and do you feel like that thought actually is practical? Like the fact that you do have that structure now, does it allow you to be more creatively free? Oh my God, yeah. First of all, you don't have to go and direct the Children's Theater of Idaho's production of Little Mermaid Jr. because you don't need the money. You know what I mean? So like I can be... This sounds arrogant, and I don't mean it to be. I can choose what I want to work on because I'm not working on it to make money necessarily. Yeah. And I really am into the new work scene and the build. Like, there's so many, like, 
ideas and novels that I read that I just want to adapt into musicals. So that's really been the thing that I've been putting most of my time and energy into. Mm-hmm. And like there's days when I'm like, I hate teaching. I'm never going back to that place again. But then there's times like the pandemic when I got to work the whole time. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, it's just been, it's been very rewarding. And I, I like that I've been able to do both. And I do, I still direct like eight or 10 shows a year. I feel like I'm getting everything that I that I want to be getting at this point in my life. Yes. Now, if one of these shows like goes somewhere, then it's going to be a fork in the road that I have to make a decision. Right, right. But we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, <laughs> if we even get there. And I think being comfortable with not getting there too is like something I'm also like starting to explore a little bit more. But I think about that line in the chorus line where she says like, did you do that? Did you give yourself a time limit? Because it is the most limiting, stupid thing you can do. And I love that new meme that's going around. It's not going around. I'm, I'm, I like to say that things are going around four years after their <laughs> release. But that thing that was like, Tina Fey was like bartending at 35. Like, whatever. Right. I love that. Because I think it's so true. And, and it's going to happen for you when it's going to happen for you, if it's going to happen for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we, we chase, as a human beings, we chase the next thing. My, my little brother, this is one age really quick. My little brother is, was a teacher at Council Rock this fall. Oh, my God. Yeah, insane. And, like, coaches on the baseball team there. And, like, everything that he wanted was to, like, work in a great school district and coach baseball. And he is two seconds out of college. So. So life done. Yeah. Yeah. But my mom and I had a conversation about once where I was like, what is next? At like, and not, and not, and he's obviously very ambitious and he's very funny and he's writing a little bit. He's just like, he's going to be really okay. But you wonder with people like that, like to hit it so young, what, what is, what is really next for you? And how are you going to continue that chase? Or are you, and this is not a bad thing, but are you going to be just happy to, to do that for the rest of your life? And if it is, and you're happy to do that for the rest of your life, that has to be celebrated and awesome too. It's like that Maya Angelou quote, like, people won't remember what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Like, that, that is really huge. Absolutely. And, and why do we not value that, like, in general, as a society, I feel like nobody's going up to you and asking you, like, how do you make people feel? You know, they're asking you, like, what do you do for work? And then they assign value to whatever job you have or how much money you make. Well, because feelings aren't tangible, right? Yeah. We don't recognize feelings as a form of currency because we can't hold them in our hand. But they really are yeah. probably our most, our biggest, especially now that we're like, everyone's like anti-capitalism and all the crap. They're probably our biggest foremost currency. <laughs> well, I would venture to say that those, those moments in your life where you were like doing one thing and then all of a sudden a new door opened, like, I feel like you got from point A to point B to C, like, because of the way that you were making people feel not necessarily what you were doing with them i feel like it was the connections that you were making with those people that then led them to be like oh well maybe you should try this you know let me introduce you to this person or whatever you know so i think like even though you weren't sort of paid for that connection in in a way like it led to this stable career that you have now yeah i guess that's true i had never thought of it that way that's very nice and in typical me fashion, I refuse to believe you, but um, <laughs> that, no, I, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, boom. <laughs> <laughs> wow, um, shared feeling. Yeah, we get into it on here. Oh, shit. Um, um so... <laughs> 
remember when you and I just used to do like lifts? Like, yes. Like, yes. I would be like, Chris, I want to try this. Let's just lift me. And like, I carried that with me in my life. Like for some reason there was this piece of my brain that was like, I love lifting people. Like I, and it really originated from there. Yeah, because I would know him was tall or, like, buff, so I was like, N- I want to do this thing where, like, he throws the girl, yeah. and he does the thing, and, and then they and then he lands, and I, and you would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'd be like, just, just let me throw my body Just at you. catch me. Dude, we had so much freaking fun, man. Oh, my God. I think we had a bomb high school experience. Yeah. I, I joke about it, but it's not really a joke. I say that I peaked in high school, but, like... It's because we had such a good fucking time. Well, yes, exactly. And, and it wasn't a good time at anyone's expense. It was, right. Like, we just, it was, we were fueled by making stuff. And I, I think that was, like, rare. I think we also, I mean, had a theater program that required us to, like, sort of commit to making stuff. But I think, I, I don't know, I look, po- I look really positively on that, too. I think there was a certain self-sufficiency that we needed to have be in the shows at our school yeah for sure but i and i think because of that it sort of drew a whole lot of people at that time in high school that were like super passionate about creating stuff whether it was on stage or behind the scenes or like production aspects like and like it's kind of crazy to think how many people from our high school like even in our four years like actually went on to study theater in some way more like I yeah. think about it all the time. It's crazy. Like, it just drew so many creative people to that one place. I don't know why. Maybe it was because <laughs> we were left to sort of run things ourselves. I have some theories, but I can't talk about them on sharing feelings. <laughs> I can't share those feelings. Um, and the other thing, too, not for nothing, but, like, we weren't, like, drinkers either in high school. Like, we were like, we really, like, I can't, I have rehearsal with, like, a thing. <laughs> I just think of, like, post-prom. I was like, this is what we did (laughs) post-prom. We went to my basement with 75 people and, like, (laughs) tried to, like, order pizza at five different restaurants and raise them. Like, that's... (laughs) Dude, it's so true, man. It's, It's amazing. I think, like... How do you think things have changed? Because I really feel like, like it starts at a younger age now where, like, kids are transforming. Yeah, I always say this to my students, like... My first cell phone I got at, like, 17, and I shared it with my older brother. (laughs) Like, that is, that is, like, and now I teach 7th graders who have iPhones and TikToks and Instagrams, and I think their access to the world is so much different than ours is, and so their ability to educate themselves on the world is so much, they're infinitely smarter than we were. Totally, totally. And able to take in so much more. But at the same time, there's like a a naivety that persists in these right. kids. So like you might be able to read about everything that you want to read about, but you can't you don't have the critical thinking skills or the maturity to apply it. And so I wonder about where that's gonna sort of come to a head yeah. for some of these kids. I think like it's an awesome thing. There's a lot of activism in young people and there's a lot of I'm going to change the world and I'm going to do it. And there's a lot of demanding, which is great, but I don't think we have the, we haven't hit the wall where like that demand is unrealistic and here's why Mm. has not really happened. Well, it's just amazing because I feel like when you remove that over-concentrated amount of information and you just allow a kid to be a kid, 
like I'm thinking in, in the case for us, like when you stripped all that away because we didn't have it, what was left was like these creative beings that were like coming to form. And like we were finding that like creating things artistically was what we wanted to do before we even really had the vocabulary to express that. I think in general, we learned through our experiences and through our lack of sort of access how to be human beings and how to how to connect with each other and how to discern behavior and what it means and i think now it's like you can see any shit that somebody takes because they story it on instagram and i think it puts you almost too close into someone's life that you start to like i don't know interpret the, these these images as fact and, and what the human experience is i i always say like we are putting therapists in business for eons <laughs> There's just so much anxiety too. I think that's like a that's like the new word of that generation. And I also like how I'm saying that generation as if I'm 75 years old. <laughs> and also like you have to have some trust in the world. I think that's also part of it. The world was a safer place, and the world has gotten increasingly unsafe over the years for a, a wide variety of reasons. Yeah. And so like like me and my brother sharing the phone. I left at 7:30 in the morning, and you know our schedule. I got home at like a 10 or 11 o'clock at night sometimes. And there was no need to know where I was. Yes. And I think that's also like growing up in like sort of a smaller town in the way that we did. I think that's also part of it. But I also like now not knowing where my kid is all day long, I couldn't even imagine. Right, right. And you know what else you made me think of with the idea of human connection is like, it was us, you know, like it was our group. There was really no like 7,000 other friends that I have on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like it, it, yeah. it, it was just us. And like... We had a good group and it was a big, solid group for sure. But in terms of scale, like a hundred people compared to like, I don't know, kids on fucking TikTok have 500,000 more million. Uh, just all this attention and shit. I think the fact that it was centralized for us made more of a difference. Yeah. There was no such thing as having a brand and having like a persona sort of that you have to like be every day. There was like... I don't know. We didn't have to be anything. We were just, I don't know. But I really think we checked a lot of boxes. Yeah. <laughs> like Special skills. <laughs> which, is, which is why, and I think there was a lot to say in the fact that we dominated the phone court. <laughs> it's funny. I, I watch things like Mean Girls and all of, and even like that Riverdale show that all the kids love. Um, these high school tropes, never been kissed. Right. Like, where do they come from? Because they didn't. I don't think any of us was like bullied ever. I don't think there was ever like an. We never had like an issue. I feel like everyone really kind of liked each other. Yeah. I think there were a couple outliers of like kids that I was like, what the? Who the fuck? Did, like, what is your thing? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Um, and, and we weren't all in the same breath. We weren't all like best friends either. It wasn't like kumbaya. Sure. But everyone, I think, left each other alone in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's funny. I see things like Mean Girls, and I see and those movies that I just mentioned, and I'm like, I can't connect to this in the way that maybe some other people can. No, totally. And I wish that that carefreeness and that like not really caring about what other people think and like that anxiety, like social anxiety piece, like we didn't have that. Yes. And I feel like, at least speaking for myself, I feel like I do have that now, and I I, I wonder why. My birthday is March 10th. I hear from her March 9th every year. Like, she's the first person to wish me happy birthday. 
And I really just, I have such hard, your mom and your dad have been very influential people in my life. Thanks, man, in, yeah. In a, in a really direct way, but also in like a very periphery way. Yeah, yeah, um, I think I think that just sort of goes farther into what you were saying in terms of when we were creating things. Like, not only was it the kids, but a lot of the family of those kids whether or not they really had a choice when it came down to it, but <laughs> ultimately they were really so supportive of what we were doing that everybody's parents became everybody's parents and everybody's house became everybody's house. And like, we really were just sort of always feeding off of each other and, yeah. and really admired each other. Like, but so, it wasn't competitive either. I think, I don't know. We were just so supportive. Yes. it's. It, I want that again. I liked the idea of being, like, at the head of a room that is just so lovely and supportive and, like, everybody loves and is there for the common storytelling goal. And But then, like, I think to your point, too, your, fa- your parents beaming in the front row of Chorus Line yes. will forever be, and that's why I sent you that video a couple yes. months ago, um, will forever be imprinted in my mind in such a lovely, positive way. Also, quick tangent about a Chorus Line, I watched it in full in quarantine just because I was, frankly, trying to get rid of some stuff and, like, getting files in, like, a commonplace. So I watched it just to be like, this was probably terrible. We... First of all, a different group of people were on the line every night. The line didn't fit everybody, so it was a chorus, a chorus stagger. <laughs> One, two, we picked every different people got cast in the final show every night. <laughs> Three, wh- I played Zach like four times. <laughs> Why did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. I remember that so well. Oh my gosh. Well, I played Paul, so that's probably the. One. <laughs> well, that, oh my god, we got <laughs> definitely stretched some boundaries there. Yeah, you were phenomenal. Oh my phenomenal gosh! That. But I, yeah. Oh my god, that whole production we did. So that was a tour for for all the listeners <laughs> out there. I really, if this section makes it in, we decided to tour a chorus line across the Bucks County area. And there were certain performances that we was billed as a children's theater show. So, hits and ass was this and that, right? Yep, we did that. No, like this is this is what I mean. Like, who did we think we were? No, truly, truly. And we, none of us were dancers. I think Megan Fulmer, which she's enough of a dancer for all of us, but none of us. We just thought we could do a chorus line. Didn't think twice about it. Nope. <laughs> I remember going to Dance Ten in Langhorn with my credit card and all of you, like in three cars. And I was like, he needs jazz pants. He needs a dance belt. She needs ballet shoes. Not knowing what any of these things were or mean. I vividly remember that in like that shopping mall or whatever, just yeah. riding on. And up. then half of us sat in this is oh, this is vivid. Half of us sat in the pizza place while I was ushering in like groups because the store was so small. Yes, I. And I was like, all right, next five, let's go. <laughs> plum, get a leotarded plum. But you know what? Oh. And the show itself was like it had so much heart. That production stands out in my mind just because of the, the sheer audacity that we had to do it. To keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Not to do yeah. it more than one time. For like a month. <laughs> and we booked like a month's worth of performances. I don't know if that says more about us or just the town of Bucks County. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. But I'll, And then I think of John Rosenbaum. What a lovely young man. He had never done a musical before in his life. And his first musical was Chorus Line. <laughs> like, on the line, in a Chorus Line. And you know what he did? Which I will never, ever, ever forget this. 
wanted to do it, wanted to do it so, so well. So he, we would have rehearsal and then he would come to my house three hours before rehearsal in the basement and just run the routines wow. and run the routines and run the routines. Wow. That's dedication. Yeah. It was crazy. And like, my mom was like, Brendan's dancing friend is here. Like, oh my God. So funny. Brendan's dancing friend. Oh my God. He that could was... have double meaning as well. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Um, especially, yeah, I had a couple of those. Um, is oh. your mom going to be mad that I use the F word as much as I do? Should I stop? No, I don't think you used it too much. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you've been pretty clean. I probably cursed more. Okay. Chris, your mother is listening. <laughs> Wait for your pitch. Have we said that yet? Have we given the backstory on that yet? I'm going to tell this story. So Chris and I met when we were, I think we were eight or nine playing it definitely wasn't t-ball we were playing like baseball like legitimate baseball kid pitch pitch. yeah Yeah, so we were older and i was terrible probably in fact not probably i'm I'm being like butch i was a terrible baseball player because i'm blind in my left eye and you really need you need to have two of those i think to play that sport with efficiency and i was afraid of the ball when i went to go hit and so mrs charon used to yell at me like wait for your pitch (laughs) wait for your pitch and so that happened and she was lovely and like we would like talk on the sidelines about how she played mary poppins when she's in elementary school and like all this shit and then years and years and years later chris and i are in high school together in the school play together and and becoming friends and then i see this beacon of light there i guess at, at an auditorium and i was like Oh my god! And then I told Chris the story, and then we made the connection, and that was... And that, that. the rest is history. And the rest is, as they say, history. <laughs> All I can say is uh, thank you for indulging us in that trip down memory lane. <laughs> I hope you found it as amusing as I did. I mean... Listen, for me, I don't have a ton of friends from when I was a kid, and, you know, getting to catch up and share old stories about all the ridiculous stuff we did, I I don't know, it was refreshing in a way. It was, you know, just good to laugh, I think. And Brendan is such a special guy, so it just felt so good to catch up. I've spoken about this before, and maybe we can sort of challenge each other with this. Let's try to reach out to old friends more. In my mind, it feels like a scary thing, almost, but it's totally not, and it might give you an afternoon of laughs, which we could all probably use right now. And one more thing. A friend of mine lost his grandfather to complications of COVID this past week, and that hit me in a strange way. I think because the world is trying so desperately to heal itself and with vaccines going out and there's just a greater sense of hope, I tend to forget that COVID is still very much a life-threatening reality. And with this month being the one-year anniversary of when the country shut down, it's okay if we're all a little crazy. Just continue to be safe and stay healthy and always tell the people you love that you love them. I wanted to close with a request from Brendan to share some literature written by black authors. As an English teacher, he has a newfound respect and appreciation for the kinds of written narratives we share with children. 
He has committed himself to inclusivity and equity and equality for everyone, and we can all do the same. Some books to consider are New Kid by Jerry Craft, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, Stars in the Sky by Casey Grant, and Dear Martin by Nick Stone. Thanks again for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast, write comments and reviews, and share with friends and family. The best place to reach me is on Instagram, at Sharon Feelings. Message me anytime. Take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Sharon.